Hello, gang. It's uh, Monday, the 24th, I believe, 2015. Uh, I'm Luke Thomas, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Not a lot to get to today. I'm um, going to keep this kind of short, or shortish, I guess, uh, for this podcast. Just UFC Fight Night 74. And we won't even go over every fight of those because it's not really worth it, but some of the better stuff we'll sort of pay attention to and, and uh, the bigger moments throughout the course of that fight card. Um, this podcast works uh, typically in just three parts. Number one, there's like an opening remark about the, the larger perspective. Then we break down fights, and then we quickly allude to what's ahead in the week to come. Uh, as a reminder, this is my last Monday morning analyst for a few weeks because I am on vacation the next two of them. So, uh, And I think I get back that following Monday morning from, um, from my vacation. So I don't know how many of these I'm going to do for a while, but um, be that as it may. Uh, okay, so like I said, not a lot to get to. Not a whole lot going on. Usually I reserve five minutes for the first segment because there really is no major overview this time. I don't really feel the need to do that. I'm just going to put 30 on the clock and then we'll go from there. Okay, ready? Let's begin. Uh, 30 minutes or less, typically. So there was just really one event to get to that is of note for our purposes. UFC Fight Night 74, Max Holloway versus Charles Oliveira. Um, this event took place at the Tell Center in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, had an attendance of 7,202 with a reported gate of just over $949,000. That is a very respectable gate, given that what is a relatively, not terrible exactly, but fairly meager attendance numbers. Those guys were paying for that event, to put it mildly. Um, The car was headlined by Max Holloway versus Charles Oliveira. Uh, It ended early. We'll get to that as well. There was, see, there was six. 10. There were 12 fights on the card. Um, Yeah, this was interesting. All right, so the headlining bout was a featherweight bout between two guys, top-ranked, sort of, you know, um, depending on your perspective about who won, I I wouldn't say a title shot was necessarily in order, but certainly uh, a big fight, either with Frankie Edgar or maybe a substitution for someone at the top of the food chain in the event that that was necessary. Um, although it's hard to see them jump in the queue ahead of Frankie Edgar, but you look, you just never know what could happen. You just, you know, you obviously want to get wins in the UFC. So it, there wasn't really a whole lot to talk about. Um, the fight ended at 139 of the first round. It turns out with reporting both from Guillermo Cruz and then Mike Bond that um, <laughs> Oliveira had a esophageal tear tore his esophagus. Now a micro tear, but that's still, I'm sure, um, pretty painful and pretty serious too, you know? So, um, there wasn't really a whole lot to break down. You saw a lot from what you normally get out of Holloway, a lot of switching stances, a lot of circular movement, a lot of in and out of range. It looked like he was using the left-handed stance, um, to go to the body, um, and then follow it up with the head, but it was doing a lot of, uh, straight jabs and crosses to the body and then getting out of the way. Oliveira doing a lot of sort of hand movement, but plodding straight forward. Um, he himself not switching stances, trying to catch Oliveira, excuse me, trying to catch Holloway a little bit by clinching when he got close with a jab or a counter, um, but wasn't really able to make much effective use of it, at least with the time that we had. The when when I think I took notes on this one just a little bit. Um, when Holloway was no, not really. When Holloway was in the right-handed stance, um, he wasn't. I didn't. I didn't see quite as effective. There were really not a lot of kicks thrown. The fight went to the ground basically after um, it looked like, if I recall correctly, it looked like um, 
Holloway was in a left-handed stance. Or maybe maybe a right-handed stance. God, I can't remember now. Long story short, it's not really all that significant in the end. Oliveira shoots. Holloway reads it, gets underneath to pull him off of his hips, and then basically as Oliveira drives in, here's the fence. Um, Holloway's able to turn on a dime and then get on top, separate. As Oliveira then stands, he sort of like goes like this. I thought he had torn his labrum or something for maybe straining into the takedown and then having been stuffed by Holloway, but it turns out he had the esophageal tear. He had an injury he knew going in. He had called it a neck injury. I guess he didn't get a proper diagnosis uh, with his doctor the first time, or who knows what the hell had happened. Not a lot to speak about. I mean, you can go back, you can watch the tape, you can kind of see the some of the nice movement by... Holloway, again, I really thought in his left-handed stance he was getting a lot more done, especially with that with the jab and then the cross to the body, or jab cross to the body, then coming up top with the right hand over the top of the counter from from Oliveira, but just not a whole lot to get to, unfortunately, in that one. Uh, okay, so the co-main event was Neil Magny defeating Eric Silva via split decision, which is kind of weird, but okay. Um, 28-29, 29-28, and 30-27, so someone gave Eric Silva the bout 29 28 that's a little bit difficult to do i could see maybe one round but even then it's, it's not that great of a call so um the striking in this one i was not overly impressed by magni had some nice moments um certainly working behind the jab which i'll get to in a moment but it was most of the more significant action to me took place in the clinch in takedown battles in reversals in passes and just creating havoc by positional dominance on the ground. So in the first round, um, there's a moment where uh, Silva throws, just throw like a spinning back elbow, slips, lands on his back, Magnus on top and side control. Not a lot to this one, really. Silva does like a hip bump sweep, just normal, get your, you know, your, your heel as close to your ass as possible, drive your hips up, and then sort of turn to a side. He does this, and, and but the, 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 the key with this one is if you're going to move, you got to keep moving. You can't stay still, if, but if you... And this won't always work, of course. But if you hit a hip bump and then you keep building quickly, get into your feet, get into your hands, standing and turning away, the key is like you know, on a takedown when you do a double, they tell you to keep your feet moving, keep your feet moving. Don't just like plow into someone and stop. It's kind of similar in a sense about scrambling, where if you just keep moving, you know, you, there are some wrong turns you can take. But all things being equal, it is better to 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 not be static in those positions. So he gets back to his feet. And it was interesting. He gets a body lock halfway. By halfway, I mean he did get his hands clasped, but he had one of Magny's arms in between him. So when that happens, you got to pin your own elbow to your side. you got to be real nice and tight. They have to have that arm glued to him, which he does. Then he tries to use his own right leg for an inside trip to bring him to the mat. And with an inside trip, you can kind of turn to the same side. You know, because if you think about an inside trip, you're, you're almost, you're not exactly, you're kind of parallel to him. And then when you hit the trip, you sort of your hips come full square with him. He can't quite do it. So what does he do? Remember, he's turning. He wants to go from here to here because he's going to use his right leg. So I'm going to use my right leg and I'm going to go this way. Can't get it. So then he just steps outside, but the motion never changes. That's the key here. Can't get the inside trip. Takes a step out, then uses his right leg to block Magny's inside leg, and then rolls over the top for a body lock takedown the opposite way or I should say the opposite style, right? Tries to go for that inside trip, can't get it, can't get it. Takes a step out on that same side and turns Magni over that same side whoop, and gets him with the with the outside. So it goes from inside trip to an outside trip, and, but it 
but what the key there is that he never changes the direction. What he does is he just changes the the style of attack on that same leg. Can't get you with the inside trip. Step out, bang, gets you. Uh, that was kind of nice. Then what on the ground from Butterfly Guard. This is where I think you know Magni has some real problems. I, I've been so wrong about him, like consistently, both good and bad. Which is to say, I underrated him for a long time. Then against Maya, I was like, well, this is going to be his coming out party. He just gets crushed. And then on this one, I picked Silva again, although the, the physique change was noticeable. I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, you put your predictions in beforehand. But either way, I was totally wrong about him. But I will say he has got to be – he's got – this is one thing between the Maya fight and this one. The only maybe real similarity is when he has butterfly guard um, or really any kind of guard generally, once the guard opens for him, any kind of open guard play, just normal open guard, butterfly guard, half guard, whatever it is, he does not do a good job of keeping everything tight and controlled. There's a lot of gaps to everything between his knee and his leg and his hip and his chest. This spot right here, right? I'm not going to bring it up, but you can see there's your thigh is here, you know, and your chest is here and your stomach is here. There's space there all the time for him. So he just gets beat on this like nogi toriando pass but not not even really just pushes his knee down and hops over um from there actually silva does something that i like to do when i'm inside control a lot of guys from side control like to have one arm over the top of the hip and one by the head i'm kind of like that i like to wrap over the head and then put the nearest arm i can by the hip um you can't hold them that way forever but it's a good way to start to get a turn motion going sometimes if if i'm in the gi i'll use that to set up a bread cutter Right, because a bread cutter, you got to come at an. If you're here, you got to come at an angle to get that hand in behind the collar, so that when you come out, you can get the other one that that serves as the hammer down on the throat. Um, so what happened with Eric Silva was he did the same kind of thing. Wraps the head up here. Put this a little bit closer. Wraps the head up here, puts the other arm down by the hip, and this was blocking. And he and then sets the angle, sets the angle like that, right? Not totally fifty uh, north south, but you know, pretty close to 180. And um, but the problem is he stays that way and just kind of keeps following. They do this Three Stooges bit where one's pushing, the other one's just following. One's pushing, the other one's just following. But in the end, I feel like the guy on bottom is going to win that sometimes, at least a lot of the time, because what, what it enabled to do was Silva didn't lose position exactly. He still had the head and the arm blocking in the way that you were supposed to, except it just kind of creates a little bit of space the more you play that Three Stooges game. So what did Magni do? Magni got to a hip. Once you get to a hip, man, that's where you – That's where you, what do you, where do you want someone if you're on top? You want them flat on their back. That's where you want them. Where do you don't want them? You don't want them on a hip because when you're on a hip, you can do all kinds of things to get away, create angles, create space. He gets to a hip and then gets to his base and gets out. So so good job by Magni and just sort of pursuing what he, what he realized was a temporary strong – ultimately weak defense if you keep holding on to that kind of thing. Uh, and then as soon as they get up, Magni gets another takedown by um, – oh, actually, so Magni gets to a hip and gets up. Silva tries to get away, and he just gets outside trip by Magni. That was a nice thing, but it was more like a straight back outside trip, not the kind of turning outside trip that um, Silva hit. And then there was one more takedown where he just sort of – Magni gets in behind him against the fence and just picks up and drops him. And you just sort of go back and look at the tape. You can see as soon as he gets his hips at a perpendicular angle with one of his legs behind, Silva gets picked up and dropped. Not much to speak of in round two, but this is what I'm talking about with some of the striking. You see what Magni would do. Magni was not great about cutting off the ring, maybe on purpose. I'm not exactly sure what the, what some of the strategy was there. But 
But there were moments when he would get Silva behind those two black lines. He would jab, jab, right hand. And, of course, because what would happen was that if you would jab, jab when he was that close to the fence, every time Silva would kind of cover up and wait wait for a big shot, wait for a big movement to, to find his way out. He, there he would stop moving his feet. And so Magny would realize it, and he would pop, pop with the jab, right hand, pop, pop, uppercut. And he would catch him with it all the time. So it wouldn't be till the fifth punch where anything really landed. But it wouldn't matter because when it did, you could see it pop his head up. It was a really nice job by Magni there. Um, so there was another point where, okay, so this is a pass that I like to do. If someone has a guard, uh, and there's different ways you can set it up, what I like to do is if the guard is open and I can and I can get one hand out, now the other hand you have to be very careful about it. It takes some explaining. You don't just leave the other arm in. The other, other elbow I like to kind of keep in the cro- crook of the knee so that they can't close the guard. I can sort of like follow the other side leg so that it doesn't do anything. What I'm going to do is a lot of times, uh, and I want to use this on more advanced players. This is something that maybe, you know, someone who's not all necessarily that great at guard. Um, but it's a, good, it's a good thing to practice. I'm going to take one shoulder. I'm going to drive their knee into their face. Not, 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 I'm not going to like make it cause, you know, painful impact, but I'm going to, I'm going to scrunch their space down together. And I might even, if it's a gi, I might, you know, grab the far side collar. I might grab the far side inside arm. You have to be careful because if they're really good, they can re-arm bar you on the other side. But that's sort of where this hand comes into play to prevent it. So then you smash the knee down into the, I mean, uh, Henzo Gracie calls it making them smell their own knee. Once that is down, then you can be kind of angle your hips out and come out the side and you can pass, right? Um, so Silva does this, but he doesn't really do it all that well, in part because Magni doesn't force him to. Uh, Magni kind of puts like an L angle, like a perfect L. Silva just kind of hips around it and gets around. But the the key difference is if I'm Neil Magni and this is my left leg up here and here comes here comes Silva around the corner. Once he comes around the corner, Magni does something very interesting. I really kind of liked it. He caught the inside elbow of Silva. Bang, catches it here. This is the remember he's coming this is Neil Magni. Silva's coming around this way to pass. So head's going to be here, body legs. Once he takes the round, so he takes that right side elbow, uses his uh, left hand to push it. From here, he rolls to his base, but he doesn't just roll to his base and kind of stay there. He rolls to his base, and if you follow the right hand, the right once once he gets over, he drives the right elbow over and then uses that lane he's cleared to grab a hold of the leg. So when you go back and you watch the tape, if you do it, watch the right elbow of Neil Magny. He comes underneath but then doesn't just sort of stay there, comes underneath, pops the elbow out, almost like a like an Ong Bak elbow, not, not to strike, but to clear space, and then uses that lane to grab the inside leg to get to his base. So it's pushing the elbow, pushing the elbow, right, pushing it across. I'm going to roll opposite as I push just to create enough space, and then once I get to my base, I'm going to open up the elbow, and then and then now I have a lane to get a hold of a leg. Once I got a hold of a leg, we can create a scramble and, and, and go from there. So that was a nice job uh, by Neil Magdi. In round three, again, same thing. Getting Silva's back to the fence. Jab, jab, jab. Caught him with the right jab. And then he saw uh, Silva come forward, banged him out with a knee up the top. That was nice. Uh, and then quickly at the end there, there was a moment where um, Magdi's trying to take him down with that same body lock. Silva walks him forward. Magni is following him inside the clinch. And then... He had he got beat on the body lock, so here's Neil Magny hands together. But Silva hits the wizard and then steps out in the front and hit, lands a Harai Goshi and gets on top. So um, you know, good job by uh, 
Eric Silva there. But in the end, it wasn't enough to get it done. Um, not a whole lot to speak about when Patrick Cote defeated Josh Berkman, not because it wasn't a great fight, just kind of a, uh, a bit of a donk fest. I mean, both guys are very good, but it was just, you know, there's a lot of moments of the fight. Just They're just banging it out. Um, but Cote defeated Berkman at 126 of the third round. First person to ever stop Josh Berkman with strikes. Just talking about the finish real quickly in round three, um, it was kind of a nice. So there was a moment in the beginning where Berkman is standing southpaw and then, and he's way away. And it looks like he's going to close the distance and come over the top with like a Superman punch or like an overhand left. And then, um, how did I write it? And then switched to uh, a right-handed stance and then I believe threw an overhand right. Right? Yes, I believe that's right. So tricking Patrick Cote there a little bit. So stands in one stance, threatens it, switches stances, and then comes over the top with the other one. So that was kind of nice. But I, I tried to watch the finish a bunch, and it's hard to tell exactly what happens in the following sense. The ending sequence is Patrick Cote sets up double jabs and throws the right as he angles out during those double jabs to the left. Right, so that's sort of what happens. That he number one sets sets up the angle for the right hand. Now, I, now the distance between my right hand and his face is shorter. Um, I have the cleaner angle, right? I have the straight line. He doesn't. So, so all that happened. But I was trying to watch before that to see what he was doing. It looked like what he was doing was going a little bit low with the right hand, either to the body or catching someone ducking to the head, and then he would go a little bit higher. So I think he was trying to get guys to lower their defenses. Right, so he double jabs, cuts the angle, pops the right, but it was only after the first time. Where if you watch how low he gets, it's much lower the first time than the second time. Second time is a little bit more upright, bang bang cross. Um, great job by Patrick Cote, big power, landed clean as hell. But he, you know, it, it was the angling and the double jabbing that set up the distance, and then the proper angling caught Bergman dead to rights. But going back and before that, watching how he's doing it, it wasn't the same level as the previous right hand he had thrown. Uh, but it's not clear if that was to the body or to the head because the, the camera work was a little bit hard to make sense of. But good job there by uh, Patrick Cote and, and finishing that off. I always like seeing guys step out at an angle and, and get the things that they need. Um, what else is on the – oh, so Francisco Trinaldo defeated Chad Laprise via uh, TKO punches, 243 of the first round. This one was an odd one too. Laprise was doing a lot. So Laprise was left-handed. Um, yes, Laprise was – Excuse me, Laprise was right-handed. Trinaldo was left-handed, if I'm not mistaken. And what you saw was Laprise trying to get the outside T angle. We talked about that with the Robbie Lawler and Roy McDonald fight. And he was actually doing a pretty good job of getting it. But he wasn't cutting the ring off at all. They were just circling each other. And so what you saw Laprise doing was he would get him, he would, there would be a moment where he would get the angle. He would throw something like a like a leg kick, an inside leg kick, or inside leg kick, and then a hand combination. And he was able to get out of the way. Wasn't landing all that significantly, but wasn't really getting touched either. So it was fine. It was a, it, it, all's well that ends well. But it, what wound up happening was he got backed up. What Trinaldo did not do an amazing job of cutting the cage off, but happened to catch Laprise at a moment because Laprise is going sort of side to side, staying more on the side where he was able to establish the T angle, but he was also coming back inside. So what you see Trinaldo do is when Trinaldo's sort of posing, he was kind of being real defensive. But there were moments when he was able to get Laprise behind the two black lines. I'm telling you, the two black lines are hugely important to MMA, at least in the UFC. Gets him behind the two black lines, and then you just see him routinely just paw with the jab, just staying out there. Okay. When he's doing this, 
he's able to follow Laprise's movement and also establish his own distance, right? Because it's we're talking like four or five, six of these he's throwing out, right? So what you find when he does is he waits until Laprise goes outside, then inside, very close to the fence with his back. Then as he goes back outright again to set the angle, remember the whole time, bang, 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 following you. You know he's not going to keep going this way. He's going to go back that way. That's how he's been moving the whole time. Right, left, right. That's how he's been moving almost the whole time. Um, so he fades right, following you, following you, following you. And then he fades back or fades to his right, fades to my – if I'm Trinaldo, he's going to fade right, fade left, fade left, and then fade right again. And that's how he's going to try and set up everything because he wants to get to that angle. So what does Trinaldo do? Wait, 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 boom. When he's here, Trinaldo – and the whole time – He's just he's just making not only monitoring your motion, monitoring your distance. Uses this hand that he's pawing out to do all that to slap down the jab, and then it throws this left across his body that just connects flush, bang. It was kind of nice how Trinaldo did it. Trinaldo's like, I'm not going to put in a ton of work for this. I'm not going to do a whole lot of motion around. You're going to be the motion guy. I'm just going to like imagine if someone's trying to walk around you and you just grab their wrist, right? You can follow them. You can just follow them. Right? They're the ones doing all the motion. You can just follow them. They're, they're going to cut a bigger circle than you are if they're the ones on the outside and you're on the inside. So if you just grab their wrist and then follow them, it, that's essentially almost what he did. Uh, and then if you, if you can sort of figure out the pattern of their movement, they like to go one side inside, then outside again, and then sort of set everything up. Because he, he wasn't just you know rotating one direction or rotating one direction. He was going inside and out. But once he got too far to one side you know he's not going to keep going this way because he doesn't have anything either. He wants to get back to this side. So when he does that, he just gets lit up because he was just watching him the whole time. And then I feel like once he got his back around the cage, it kind of restricted his movement a little bit. He couldn't quite get the sweeping outside angle on his foot that he wanted until Trinaldo made him pay. It was nice. And then there was, you know, um, Laprise pulled guard and after getting crushed and uh, Trinaldo took his back and, and finished him off from there. Um, not a whole lot to get to with uh, Olivier Aubin Marcier, but he defeated to uh, Tony Sims. Unanimous decision, 30-27 on two judges' scorecards in 29-28. Um, a good fight that was really interesting for me was the Valerie Letourneau versus Marina Moreau's fight. Uh, Letourneau won 30-27 and then 29-28 on two other judges' scorecards. This was kind of a bizarre, funny fight. So um, it looked like Moreau's was the heavier striker, maybe, and certainly the quicker, more dynamic striker. But Moreau's, I don't know what she's doing, man. She's got a weird grappling style, which I'll get to in a minute, and she's got a weird striking style. The striking style is less weird than it is just simply unpolished. But the grappling is bizarre, like truly bizarre. Um, but all of it's bizarre to an extent anyway. So um, <laughs> so let's just understand like, so the context here. Letourneau was doing a good job. She wasn't as quick, but she was doing what I like to call the greet and meet. Right. So with one hand, she is establishing a punishing shot first. I'm going to use this because at this range, I can get this off and I can get you off your rhythm. I'm not going to like put your lights out with it, but I'm going to establish my presence in the pocket. I'm going to establish distance. I'm going to be first landing. I'm going to get you to have to reset and find a new angle. She was doing that with the left, with the right hand and or or to bait out Moreau's. I'm going to I'm going to body you with the left. You're going to react. 
and then I'm going to do their hand. So you greet them with the left, and then after they would do something, she would meet them with the right. I like to call it the greet and meet. So, so the left hand was striking first. The right hand was almost always a counter. You have to go and watch that. And she was doing a great job of, you know, punching on one side and getting off to the other. She was doing a good job of leaning one side and making you watch here and then popping with the same side, like doing all kinds of tricks to, to get you to look one way, to expect one thing, and not just tricks, but like the difference for me was that Letourneau had solid fundamentals, solid fundamentals, man. Um, she is a well-trained fighter. You know, I don't know how far she's going to go. We'll find out. But, you know, you can tell this is someone who has – taken the idea of mastering fundamentals very seriously really kind of appreciated that with her footwork with her i wouldn't call it a lackadaisical attitude i would call it a very measured attitude morose wants to get in there and just go you know and and she really never could partly because she was getting greeted and meted um but that was sort of what was happening there uh she was working around morose had a fast jab but there wasn't a lot behind it. There was no head movement. So what you saw Letourneau doing was cutting off at angles. She was, um, you know, so so not just that. Moroz would pop the jab and then bring it back real quick, but bring it back here. Well, okay, you don't want a lazy jab, but you don't want to, I mean, look how, go back and watch how Letourneau would exit a clinch here or like, you know, way up. Like she even did this a couple times when anticipating a jab. She had her hands way up. Moroz would punch and then bring back here at the shoulder. So she was getting constantly eaten up on the right-hand side for that, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um, um, so anyway, that was a really good job by Letourneau there, just throughout the whole course of the fight, making her pay, greeting her with the left, meeting her with the right. I really appreciated that. Um, a lot of good head movement from her, a lot of good counters. But the one that sort of knocked her out was Letourneau fires back a, like a three-punch combination, maybe even a four, throws a body kick from the left side, which gets a left hand, and they're both standing orthodox, which gets a left hand out of Morose. But think about this, this, this combination. This is classic Muay Thai. I'm going to go high with one side, not just a punch, too, like a different kind of strike. And then when I come down, I'm gonna, the left foot has to land, right? So my motion is going this way. I'm going to bring my right hand with it. So she throws, she gets her back up. Morose is kind of countering a little bit, but mostly just sort of parrying and and getting her hands up and backing up straight, by the way, not at an angle. So there's there's the first part. Morose is just backing up in a straight line. Um, Letourneau, bang, 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 just getting her to kind of get her hands busy, expecting something else. Throws the left body kick, which lands, and then comes down with the right and crushes Morose because where's her hand? Well, she was trying to counter with her own right hand. But Letourneau is, does a good job of measuring distance, never being in the way, head way off here. When the punch that that Morose threw the left hand, it was like here in front, like she could even see it. When 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 Letourneau comes down, actually, she takes her own left hand, kind of puts it on Morose's face, and then bombs on her with the right, a la what, uh, similar to what Cowboy Cerrone did to um, John McDessie. So that was really nice. So that knocks her down. Then you saw these just like insane grappling tendencies that make no sense at all for Morose. Like, grabbing the head if you want to grab someone's head you want to roll them over why would you then hook their inside leg that to anchor them that makes no sense you would want to be able to you would that's what a butterfly hook is for if i'm going to push down on your head i need your rear end and your legs to come up she was locking down her legs and then also locking down while showing the back for a moment in in on the ground it was like it just made no sense there was a moment there where you know letourneau's in side control and it wasn't the most dominant side control but it was just fine 
And then Moreau's just has her hips way in the air. And then she had that like triangle leg scissors that made no sense because that's not going to submit it. And when you could see all the daylight of neck, all she was doing was stalling. Um, and in any case, one thing you should know is if someone has, it's not going to work if you're getting triangled because you just can't reach around. But if someone's playing games like that or someone's trying to play 50-50 with you, when someone has their legs triangled, you pull on this on the towards the inside, right? Muscles are weak there on the inside of your legs. So if someone has their right foot, right ankle under their left knee, you pull on the left foot and you pull towards their own body. That opens up the angle a little bit. I don't know if Letourneau really had that opportunity, but uh, I do that all the time. When if you, if you try to go for a leg lock on someone and then they, they triangle their legs to stop you, you just pull on the open side leg. The, the leg that's doing the clinching, pull that uh, ankle towards them. It opens up the angle because the, the muscles to control that are your muscles to go down are really strong. Your muscles, like the thigh master muscles, they're pretty weak, you know? Uh, you can control those with your hand, so you just open it right up. It comes open every, every time. And maybe not so much with the gi, um, but certainly no gi. You just open it right up every time. Um, not a whole lot to speak of in round three. The only thing Moroz did good in terms of um, grappling was she had open guard in the third round. And you see her catch the bicep of Letourneau on top of her. She drives in her own leg, pushes the hand back of Letourneau, and then puts the leg on top. But once you have the leg on top, so it's Letourneau's left arm. If I'm Moreau's, I have Letourneau's left arm here. If you just have your feet crossed at the top and one arm's in, one arm's out, you're halfway there. But there's no submission there. And you saw Moreau's like pulling down on the head for the choke. You can pull down on the head once the choke is there, but just pulling down on the head beforehand does nothing. There's just daylight everywhere. So Letourneau's just like, all right, so what does Letourneau do? She just stands and, you know, get off. Like you're taking off a scarf or something. Like it was, it was it, I'm telling you, that that Moreau's, she could use some fundamental training because Letourneau has, Moreau's obviously has good athletic ability and she has good, you know, fighting instincts, but she just has so many weird reactions to things. Um, okay, so that would be the main card. Uh, Frankie Perez defeated Sam Stout. TKO punches at 54 seconds of the very first round. Uh, this was a fun little one. So Perez uh, was circling into Stout's power hand, but showing a lot of movement and fainting to keep Stout, Stout reacting or waiting. If you go back and you watch, he is circling into the power hand, but what's he doing? He's, you see him go like that, and then you see Stout go, whoop, like, bring the hands up. But what, what's happening is what you see is Stout steps in to fire his right. But when he does, he doesn't really, like, lean out. He kind of just leans, not forward exactly, but doesn't lean too much on one direction. Kind of just goes straight right, right? What does Perez do? Perez before was taking steps, but instead of stepping back in and trying to beat him at the race, go back and watch what, what Perez does. His lead foot, his left foot, he takes a big step out to the side. Well, well, why? Because if I take a step out to the side, now I've got the created angle. You never want to fight someone here. You want to fight someone so that their head is facing this way. Anytime you can get this, I mean, okay, in jiu-jitsu, you want someone's back flat to the mat. But with striking, if I can set up an angle on you, I can just bomb on you, and you can't do anything about it. So he, the, here comes the right in front of him. He takes a huge step out and then just cracks him. It's amazing. But he doesn't take a step forward or a side step. He kind of takes like a big angled step, opens up his hips so that he is square on the side crossbody of stout and then just, you know, annihilates him. 
um, with his own right, by the way. And then Stouts punched his missus completely. Um, so that was a fun one. Uh, let's see what else was on the card. Um, oh, Felipe Aranches defeated uh, Eves Jabouin, or Jabouin, however you pronounce it, uh, 421 of the uh, first round via armbar. This was a fun one. There was a huge slam by uh, uh, Jabouin to open up the first round. So what did he do? He had a single leg on one side. I'm, I'm going to lean on a single. I'm going to lean on a single, driving the shoulder down, trying to run the pipe, and then turns around and then uses it to essentially high crotch lift and then go the other way and then dumps him like ass over tea kettle. That was brilliant. I'm going to go one way, one way. You're, if I go one way, which way are you going to go? You're going to go the opposite way. Thank you for giving me that. Now I'm going to go with you. Right? That's how, that's how, that's how all these things work. You know, one of my favorite uh, takedowns, because I, I don't like level changing. I'm too tall, you know, uh, is, a, is, a, is a collar drag. I like setting up collar drags. Um, you know, you've heard of arm drags. You've heard of leg drags. Same thing with a collar drag. You just kind of throw them by you, but you have to do other things too. What am I doing? I'm locking up. I'm waiting for you to grip. I don't really care where you're gripping exactly. I, wait, I like to get right hand on your right lapel, right, because I'm going to throw you this way. But what am I waiting for? I'm going to push into you. If you keep circling out, I can't really get it. I'm going to push into you. I'm going to wait till you push back. And once you push back, whoop, I'm going to I'm going to drag and I'm going to trip at the same time and then come up the back door. So um, that's what he did. He, I'm going to go. I'm going to go one way with this single. Oh, you're going to go. You're going to go the opposite way. Good. I'm going to go with you. And that's why you see him just get completely under him. I'm sure he's also very strong as well. Hang on just one second. All right, almost done here. Um, Aranches had a good bump from side control, covered the right arm of um, Jebuin, and then gets his left hip, excuse me, his left forearm on the on the hip of uh, Jebuin, bumps and rolls him, got on top. That was kind of nice. Um, then Jebuin hits actually another reversal. So they're standing up. Jebuin's back is to the cage. Um, um, uh, I believe Aranches threw a left knee to the body, but at the same time, what does that do? That creates only your right leg as your post leg. Uh, at the same time, Jabouin bl blocks on one side and then kicks out on the other side to then reverse him back. Like he just gave him a post leg, which Jabouin time to then turn him and kick out the post leg at the same time. So that was kind of nice. Um, let's see. There was a point where Aranches tried for a body lock sacrifice throw, right? Where I'm going to do this, I'm going to throw you over. But I got to get my hips over, right? Because if I'm doing – if your hips always want to be facing the ground if you're on the – you know, going for takedowns. Always want to land hip down because you can scramble from there. But if your hips to the side or to your back, it's hard to scramble. You want to go hip down. So he tries to go hip down, but at that point he had lost the wizard. Um, he gets wizard over and has to go to his back. So it was a good job by uh, Jeb Wayne to wizard him so hard. And that can hurt your shoulder too, by the way. Um, all right, so there's a moment there. It was interesting sequence. He finishes it with an arm bar on the right arm of, of um, Jebween, but he tries it earlier in the match. It doesn't work. Jebween stands out, okay? So Aranches goes for the arm. Jebween stands out and then goes back to fire a right hand over the top. What does Aranches do? He kind of gets out of the way and then throws his own left leg, right, over the back, close to the back of the neck of Jebween. Then he tries to bring his own right leg in front of the face of Jabouin. Think about it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna do a triangle. I'm gonna isolate your right arm. You give me a right hand, bang, I'm gonna grab it. I'm gonna use my left leg to come over the top. I'm gonna control your posture. Then I'm gonna sneak my right leg through. I'm gonna cross it up and then I'm gonna try and hold you down. Good awareness, good guard uh, by Aranches. It doesn't actually work, but it was interesting to note that like Jabwin got out of that first armbar attempt like that and got out of the triangle, no sweat too. Um, but it was nice. It looked like, by the way, when Aranches was going over the top of the back of the neck that he was going for an omoplata um, on Jabwin, but he wasn't. He was actually waiting for that right leg to come up to scoot over the back and, you know, connect the legs behind the head. So that was a nice, that was a nice little move by Aranches. And in the end, he scores the, he scores the armbar. So how did he do it? I, I, it's shocking. It was shocking armbar because he didn't whip into it. He just kind of slowly got his shoulders onto the mat and his hips up. His legs were not doing a great job of controlling him. Um, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he thought he could get out of it late. Maybe he just lost track of thought. I, or he was tired. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But that was a very defendable armbar. He uh, he just let him keep climbing up of it. I I was I was very very surprised. I was very surprised because um, I know Jabwin's better than that. I, and you can see him at the end being like, oh, shaking his head. And everyone does when they get caught sometimes, but. But for this one, I, I felt very sympathetic for him because it wasn't a it wasn't a bad arm bar. I'm not saying Arantes did a bad job, but it was basic and relatively slow for UFC purposes anyway. But he gets it. Uh, and a lot of times with an arm bar, you know, you want to have both legs crunching down. You want to control their posture. You want to control the back of the neck. Uh, Arantes was doing that a little bit, but he crossed his feet and then hooked the near side leg and just kind of tilted him over. Uh, so when he gets on top, crosses his legs. Here's what here's the arm that was in trouble. It was it was Jibwin's right arm. So what does Jibwin do? Bicep grip defense. So what do you have to do? Aranches has this hooked right here. He's got one arm hooked. Okay, what do I got to do? I got to get this wrist out. So he he keeps the arm that he's holding Jibwin's arm with, and he starts punching with the right. Gets a little bit of work with it. All he's waiting for is just enough so that he can keep this arm. He's, if I'm Aranches, I'm going to keep my arm here. And I'm going to use the other. I'm not sure if he switched or not. No, I think he came over. And he just sort of catches the wrist with his other arm. And then what you want to do is, if you think about it, if you're like this, how do you get this hand out? You have to get it pried open. Like the, 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 the wrist has to come out a little bit. You can fight this off if you can. You can sort of push this back or push it down. But if you're just going to catch this wrist, it's kind of open him up a little bit. The, the, the hand has to be twisted out. So that's exactly what he does. You see him kind of catch it, and you see him kind of lean, which causes Jabwin to go base down. But by the time the elbow comes out, you know, if these guys are going to – it's not like in practice where if I'm not catching an arm bar, I'm going to lean on it, but, you know, I'm not going to go crazy. But in UFC, man, if you can catch someone's arm like that, they're going to give everything in their hips to, to, to break it or get you to tap. And so even though it didn't get finished in an ideal position, it didn't really matter. Um it, you know, it worked, and you see Jabwin tap. But that was also a bizarre thing about it, you know. It was kind of a steady, basic arm bar, uh, a good one, but a basic one, and it worked. Shocking, very shocking. Uh, let's see. Then you had Nikita Krylov, Captain Donk, defeating Marcos Rogerio de Lima via rear naked choke. Um, how did he get out of the, the guillotine? Uh, very easily. Tripod it up, you know, put the weight of the opposite side shoulder uh, into Delima and hand fought, you know, because if you look at Delima, he doesn't have guard behind the lumbar region of Krylov. He has it behind the knees. Not good enough, Jack. If someone can get up and do that, like they can get your ass in the air, for lack of a better description, you can, and then you lean that shoulder in, and then you hand fight. 
um, while keeping your head off the mat, you can do a lot to to uh, mitigate the effects of it. And if you don't have, you know, if you're just tra- trapping some guy's knees, it's no dice. So uh, that didn't work. Uh, Chris Kalati's defeated uh, Chris Beal. Oh, and by the way, you saw Delima go for that. Like people were like, oh, well, Krylov held the fence in the knee bar. There was no knee bar. He wasn't even close. You know, for a knee bar, man, you have to have their ankle by your head and you have to have their knee well past onto your stomach. Like, like it has to be well past your hip line. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. So, yes, he held the fence and that kind of sucked. It did not affect the outcome of that fight. Um, Chris Galati's defeated Chris Beal via split decision, 29-28, 29-28, and 27-30. Uh, Beal looks like he needs to go down to a girl up to 135 because he just gasses too easily. Uh, Shane Campbell defeated Elias Silverio via unanimous decision, which I thought was very justified. One thing you saw Elias do what he put one hook in, you know, Campbell would have his right side to the, to the fence and Elias would put one hook in on the open left side, but he would then put the left leg behind the left knee. This is similar to like, you see people do this in jujitsu a little bit. It's, it's kind of similar to like these major De La Hiva far side hip setups. Because what it does is it gives you access to the back. Not immediately, but it gives you an avenue to control their hips while you get an angle around back of them. It's not enough when you just have one hook and then behind their leg. But if you can get really far with it, man, they can, you know, they can, they, they can, people who are really good can do a lot of damage with it. And so what you would see him do is he would get that hook in, hook the other far side leg, and then use his open free right leg to then push off the fence to create the angle. And it works sometimes and it didn't in others, but that was kind of interesting. Uh, and then lastly, this was kind of cool. Uh, Misha Serkunov, how do you pronounce his name properly, defeated Daniel Jolly uh, via KO punches at full 45. Fun little takedown he got there. So it, this was kind of interesting. He had the right hand um, grabbing the, the he should be hit his left hand grabbing the right arm of Jolly. He put his shoulder into the shoulder of Jolly, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna wear your arm like a sash. This is kind of cool. I, I I I've seen it before, but not like in MMA at this kind of level. So this is kind of fun, right? Um, gets the hand. So I'm gonna grab your arm like a sash. I'm not gonna let you. We're not gonna worry about what's going on here. You have to be quick with this. You have to be. You know, this is not a position you can play with a very long time. You're gonna get your back taken or choked or something. But he gets it, pulls it across. I'm gonna lean here. Well, I've got your wrist here. Okay. And I'm going to use this hand to then block your near side leg and then turn you over. That was kind of nice. That was kind of, and it worked. It didn't, he didn't just like fall over. He, he went flying over because if I'm, they say in judo, when you like pull someone across, you know, imagine you're looking at your watch, right? I mean, you're yanking them across. So he's yanking them across, putting weight on the shoulder, right? If you just take someone, try it, grab someone's wrist and with the same side with your shoulder, turn them and then drive your shoulder into them and they'll, they'll stumble. Now imagine doing that and then using the same side hand to block the near side leg, doing all that at once. What happened? Jolly went ass over tea kettle too, man. Nice. That was a nice little takedown there um, from, um, let's see, uh, Sir Kunov, however you pronounce his name properly. That was really, really good. I was very impressed by that. Um, and he had, you know, uh, striking was not so great, but his grapple on the ground was, was pretty phenomenal. And that takedown was slick. It was very slick. And that happened at full 45 of the first round. Uh, fight of the night was Cote versus Berkman. Performance of the night went to Frankie Perez and Felipe Aranches. My fighter of the card, uh, I will give to Valerie Letourneau because I thought that she had the best fundamentals 
from pillar to post in all phases of the game, even though, you know, maybe not the best fighter on that card, but I thought she had a really strong display of skill. Um, that's my fighter of the card. Okay, so what's next week? ADCC 2015 is coming up. Uh, ben Henderson's in it. Hector Lombard's in it. Eddie Cummins is in it. I have an interview with Eddie Cummins coming out. Um, my man, Bushesha is not in it. Uh, I think he's still nursing an injury. Super fights are going to be Laborio versus Mario Sperry, I believe. And then um, Galval versus Cyborg Abreu. That's going to be dope. So a lot of big names in this tournament. I think uh, one of the, maybe at least one of the Meows is in it. Gary Tonin's in it. Jeez, Aga's arm's in it. Like all kinds of guys are in it. It's going to be sick. So we'll have coverage of that on Saturday and Sunday on MMA Fighting as well. And then I'm gone. Then I'm gone. I'm going to go to Colombia and Panama. I'm out of here. Leaving the country the whole bit. So, um, but then I'll be at Bellator Dynamite, I think. Anyway, long story short, thank you guys for watching. If you have any questions, uh, luke.thomas at sbnation.com. By the way, if you know uh, judo and you know what that trip is where you're yanking the arm to the shoulder and then blocking the hand, um, let me know. Let me know what that is, what the name of it is, because it's very, very cool. And then uh, get at me on Twitter, at sbnlukethomas, at, um, yeah, on Twitter. I lost my train of thought. I have to go. I'm so late for my, my radio show. Okay. See you guys next time. Until then, uh, enjoy the fights.